Hello, Celestial Citizens. I'm Britt Duffy Adkins, and welcome to Continuum. The universe is expanding, and so is the space industry. So with all the new developments, announcements, and launches, it can be a lot to keep up with. So we're here to help. Continuum is a news outlet that's making space news relevant for the next generation and boldly challenging the status quo. Whether it's new discoveries and developments in technology or how what we're doing in space affects us here on Earth, we'll cover it all. Currently, we're posting our stories to our website, www.continuum-hq.com, and on our newsletter, which comes out every other week. Not only does our newsletter include links to our features, but it also contains a rundown of some top headlines from the week, as well as recommended space reads from around the web. The video version of our show will return in the coming weeks, so be sure to keep your eyes peeled for the date of the next live stream. You can find links to our website and how to subscribe to our newsletter in the episode description. Haven't had a chance to read the newsletter yet? Then this is the podcast for you. So whether you're a space enthusiast or just starting to look up at the stars, we'll take the highlights from our stories and collect them for you here. We are the outlet providing space news for everyone. So without further ado, here's the highlights from this week's Continuum. First up, let's take a look at some of the top headlines from this week. At the time this podcast releases, we will be just hours away from Axiom's rescheduled AX-1 launch, the first all-private mission to the International Space Station. We're all hoping for a successful launch on this historic mission, so good luck to everyone. And as we all know far too well, delays are a regular occurrence in the space industry, which leads me to my next headline, that the second countdown rehearsal for NASA's SLS was scrubbed on April 4th. The decision was made to halt the wet dress rehearsal after the controllers were unable to open a vent valve on the mobile launcher required to start loading liquid hydrogen into the rocket's core stage. It was later discovered that they were closed in such a way that they could not be opened remotely. NASA has not announced when the next rehearsal will be. Also this week at the 37th Annual Space Symposium, 23 top executives from the space industry signed the Space Workforce 2030 Pledge in a commitment to advance diversity across the workforce. Signees include Michael Koglazier, CEO of Virgin Galactic, Larry James, Acting Director of NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and Gwyn Shotwell, President and COO of SpaceX. Also, only a short 13.5 billion light years away, the farthest galaxy ever has been spotted. Named HD1, the galaxy was discovered by an international team of astronomers using an international team of telescopes. The research team will confirm the distance from Earth using JWST. In an effort to ascertain exactly what the galaxy is, the team proposed two ideas based on how extremely bright HD1 is in an ultraviolet light. The first, HD1 may be home to population three stars, the universe's first stars ever. The second, HD1 is a supermassive black hole about 100 million times the mass of our sun, thus making it the earliest supermassive black hole known to humankind. In other news, Netflix released Return to Space, a feature-length documentary that chronicles the achievements made by Elon Musk and SpaceX. Directed by Academy Award-winning duo Chai Vasarale and Jimmy Chin, 
This film features the highs and lows SpaceX encountered on the way to their mission to deliver astronauts Bob Behnken and Doug Hurley to the ISS in May 2020. And on Thursday, Orbit Fab and Neutron Star Systems announced a partnership for sustainable propulsion and satellite refueling. Both companies were members of the United States Space Force and Air Force Research Laboratory's Catalyst Accelerator Program. Also, Planet announced its partnership with Amnesty International to tackle deforestation in Cambodia. The international non-governmental organization has been using Planet's unique satellite capabilities to protect the 500,000 hectare Prey Lang Wildlife Sanctuary. Planet's satellites provide a unique data set with unprecedented accounts of global change. Amnesty International has been utilizing this data in a variety of ways, including tracking illegal activity within the sanctuary borders and detecting land near the sanctuary that has been cleared for road development or agriculture. Next up, no internet for you, SpaceX, in France at least. France's highest administrative court ruled that their telecom provider, RCEP, should have launched a public consultation before authorizing Starlink services this year, thus revoking their Spectrum license and right to provide broadband services. Stéphane Kerkov, Managing Director of Acting for the Environment, which is one of the organizations that submitted this appeal in the first place, called for stronger regulations on mega constellations to protect views of the night sky and reduce risk of space debris. And because Elon seems to make the news every week, we of course have to mention that Elon Musk purchased 9.2% of Twitter's stock, making him the largest shareholder in the company. Tech analyst Dan Ives told CNN that he thinks Elon intends to force active change at Twitter, and even if he does not, his purchase may encourage other activists to buy stock as well. Twitter's stock rose 22% after the announcement, and at a close of trading on Friday, Musk's stake was worth $2.9 billion. Monday morning, it was $3.5 billion. Not a bad way to earn some passive income over the weekend. And now, on to our feature stories for the week. First up, we're talking about everyone's favorite, exoplanets. Last week, NASA announced that the astronomical community had reached a very exciting milestone. They confirmed the presence of over 5,000 exoplanets. A batch of 65 exoplanets tipped the official count of the NASA Exoplanet Archive over the line 30 years after the first exoplanets were spotted. Andrew Boyle, a data analyst at NASA's Exoplanet Archive, told us that the field of exoplanets is growing exponentially and that even just a decade or two ago, researchers would be astounded by the different wild and varied planetary systems that we have discovered since. Much like we would be astounded if you had told us 10 years ago that Apple would be making us buy dongles for all our devices. Even if the rate of discovery has increased, exoplanet hunting is not particularly easy. Three decades in, and there are still only five major methods for exoplanet detection. All five have their own specialties and merits, and each fills an important space in our ever-growing collection and analysis of far-off worlds. First is the transit method. The most productive of any of the methods, the transit method has allowed scientists to uncover almost 4,000 exoplanets to date. The only thing this method needs to work is a transit, 
or a planet passing in front of its star, blocking some of the light. An exoplanet transit works exactly the same way as a solar eclipse does on Earth. When the moon passes between our planet and the sun, it blocks some of the sun's light. During a transit, an exoplanet blocks a little bit of its host star's light, and researchers can detect that slight dimming. If that dip in the star's light repeats on a constant schedule, something must be orbiting that star at a pretty constant speed, so you've likely found yourself a planet. Or somebody just keeps turning the star on and off. The next method is called radial velocity. The transit method may be the most productive, but it isn't always the easiest way to spot exoplanets. The radial velocity method, sometimes known as the wobble method, has helped scientists to discover almost 1,000 planets over the last three decades, simply by looking for colors of light. So when searching for exoplanets around a star, one of the easiest data points to collect is the color of the star's light. Some stars look very red and others blue, and some stars, like the spinach I just bought, seem to change color. Those are the stars exoplanet hunters are looking for. And like spinach, stars don't simply start changing color, but unlike spinach, the shift can happen gradually over billions of years as they age. But if it happens quickly and regularly, the star isn't actually changing color. It just looks like it is because something, most likely a planet, is pulling it slightly toward and away from Earth. This is called the Doppler effect. It's the same phenomenon that makes a siren or train horn seem higher pitched as it approaches you and lower pitched as it moves away. As a planet's gravity pulls its star in the direction of Earth, the light that star gives off is compressed. Compressed light looks bluer than it would if the star were remaining still. When the planet pulls the star back away from Earth, the light is stretched and it looks redder. If a scientist spots a consistent color shift, they've most likely spotted a planet too. And if you spot a consistent color shift in your freshly bought spinach, you might be storing them wrong. The other three methods are gravitational microlensing, direct imaging, and astrometry. And to learn about those in more detail, check out the full story on our website titled How Do Scientists Find Exoplanets by Jackie Apple. And on a more serious note, Russia's invasion of Ukraine continues to have effects on the space program. The Rosalind Franklin mission was supposed to be the next step in the world's exploration of Mars. ESA would have provided the rover. Roscosmos, the Russian space agency, would have provided the lander. The rover would have drilled under the Martian soil to find traces of life. Now, in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Rosalind Franklin has been shelved indefinitely as the European partners voted to suspend the mission. Roscosmos claims they're now working on their own independent Mars mission, but there's no sign of what that might look like. This is one of several transnational missions that are coming undone at the seams. Despite how the Russian government wants to project its international image, the country's space future is built on international cooperation, or at least it was. And now, under Roscosmos' gruff exterior, the agency faces a hazy future. What is now Roscosmos has had a long history of internationalism. During the Cold War, its Soviet predecessor ran a scheme called Intercosmos, bringing on board astronauts from Soviet-aligned countries around the world, not just from Europe, but also from Afghanistan, Cuba, India, Mongolia, Syria, and Vietnam. By the late 1980s, as Cold War tensions warmed, that list expanded to include Japan, France, and the United Kingdom. 
Starting in the 1990s, Russia was key in bringing its space station experience to building the ISS. And it wasn't very long ago that NASA was entirely reliant on Soyuz capsules to get its astronauts to that station. And Rosalind Franklin is the second part of the broader ExoMars program, which in 2016 launched the Trace Gas Orbiter and the Schiaparelli Test Lander. More recently, Baikonur Cosmodrome has opened itself to foreign commercial launches, such as those from the British communications satellite constellation operator OneWeb. It is true that Russia recently tested anti-satellite missiles, much to the U.S.'s chagrin, but a Russian diplomat also told Nikkei Asia that discussions between the two countries on the matter were vibrant. In a 2020 paper, political scientists Johan Eriksson and Roman Privilov stated that Russian space policy simultaneously seeks lasting space cooperation with the U.S. and criticizes the U.S. for militarization of space. But that nuanced, complex partner isn't the image you'll get off of Ross Cosmos today, especially under the leadership of its current agency head, Dmitry Rogozin. For more on the potential future of Roscosmos and some of the other fallouts that have happened in the space industry because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, check out the full story, The Ukraine Complicates a Russian Space Conundrum by Rahul Rao on our website. And that's it for this week. Again, if you want to read the full stories, check out our website, www.continuum-hq.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at continuum.hq and Twitter at continuum underscore HQ. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you can stay up to date with what's going on in space. And while you're there, leave us a review so others can find us as well. And of course, subscribe to our Continuum newsletter on Substack for curated space news content. Tune in two weeks from now to keep up to date with all the cool stuff happening up in that big, beautiful cosmos we're all floating around in. We are Continuum, one giant leap every other week. <laughs>